a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I am joined once again <laughs> by my wonderful co-host Lee. Hello everyone, it's been a while. Yes, welcome <laughs> back. We've missed you. Yes. Yes, we've uh, been left in the capable hands of uh, Eric and Claire for a couple yep. of episodes, but it's lovely to have you back behind the mic. Good to be back. Yeah. How have you been? Good. Watching a few things. Yeah. Anything yeah. Uh, Anything of note? Well, I wrote down three things. So the first one obviously uh, deserves a big mention, Everything Everywhere All at Once. I have been waiting to talk to you about this. Yeah, we haven't talked about it. No, no. So like other than I think you sent me a text saying like I bawled or like Short Round yeah, Made Me Ball. Short yeah. Round Made Me Ball. I know. There's a really sweet moment which I won't spoil but... Which, okay, which which one? Because there are two for me. Is it the one in the alleyway? Uh, that also made me bald, but no, it's the one... Um... On the stairs where he gives the whole... Yeah, that's the one that always gets me. Yeah. And everyone's, uh, everyone I talk to is like, no, no, it's the thing in the alleyway about like, in another life, like, I... Yeah. yeah, I think that's more like... Ooh. Yeah, but the thing of just the... Can everyone just please... Go? Why can't everyone just be nice? Just like, oh, God, my heart. Yeah. It was a really bonkers film that made me feel a lot of things. Yeah. And I liked how I didn't know where we were going Mm. at any point. It was predictability was gone. Yeah. And but yet it stayed concise and it had a purpose and a point. You just you could totally just like go on a weird journey and go. I don't know where I've been, but it felt like it had a point. Yeah, and um, I mean the the film's kind of been out for long enough now, and I feel like there's now merch about this specific thing as well. But like the the baseline I always go to, like I think I was saying it with Eric, is like it's a film because he and Tina went and saw it, like knowing nothing about it other than. Me saying, go see it. (laughs) Same as me. Yeah. And it was the thing that he was like, it was amazing how like, it was like 15 different movies in one. And I felt like such different, I'm like, and I, my baseline was, it's amazing that like you start crying in that film where 15 minutes, literally 15 minutes earlier in the film is a guy jumping over a cubicle, legs akimbo, (laughs) like pixelated. (laughs) (laughs) That happens. And then 15 minutes later, you're crying in an emotional, like it is Nuts. It is nuts. I was still kind of vague on what the pixelated thingy was. And like Rackin' Cooey. <laughs> that was my favourite. Yeah. That was great. That made me laugh a lot. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen this, but I'm going to compare it to Run, Lola, Run. Even okay. though it doesn't uh, go back on itself like Run, Lola, Run does. I mean, there's something about the pacing maybe or the bonkersness of it. Like the kinetic energy of yeah. it and things. Yeah. Definitely a fast pulse. Yeah, Maybe. man, the Daniels. I mean, it's it's one where it is so fucking good and enjoyable. Um, I I hope it kind of, you know, has some longevity similar to some other films that kind of like Parasite a couple of years ago. How that mm. kind of came out early in the year and everyone loved it and lost their mind for it, and then that kind of stayed. Like yeah. it's it's a film that's not going to get kind of forgotten. Hopefully, yeah. Because yeah. there's been a lot of fucking bonkers stuff this year. Like yeah. Um, the other film I saw was Hustle. Oh, yes, the Adam Sandler one, and yeah. I didn't think I 
my husband Josh put it on and he loves basketball and is obsessed with basketball. So that's why he watched it. And I'm like, I will sit here on my phone while you watch it. Yeah, it's and like it's on in the background and I'm playing solitaire. It, it <laughs> caught my attention and then I just really enjoyed it. Mm. It was a warm hug of a film. Um, I likened it to Chef, even though completely different premises and all that. Just the warm hug feel of it. Like... It's a film I reckon I could put on and just watch any time. Yeah. You know, that kind of film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a film that I, I was listening to a podcast today, um, but they were having a giant discussion on Netflix films and how, I mean, there's a lot going on with Netflix at the moment, how there's like, you know, they're, they've openly said they're no longer going to finance vanity projects and $200 million movies and things. But you they would had that whole discussion on what makes what were the good Netflix movies? And they bring up this whole discussion on there was a run there in like twenty seventeen where they put out like I don't I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Okja, War Machine, like it's like these smaller, like, you know, twenty, forty million dollar budget films yeah. that are just catered like that we had in abundance in the nineties in the cinema. Like movies yeah. that are specifically catered to an adult audience. Mm-hmm. And not like a big blockbuster, like a Ugh. a middle of the road, and the, I, I don't mean that as a derogatory no, thing, I but know like what you mean it's not gangbusters, no. blockbusters. Yeah, it's just a it's a story film or yeah, a well made film made for like an adult audience that yeah. isn't trying to tap into this market and do this and do that. It's yeah. just an adult drama <laughs> that we just don't get anymore yeah. <laughs> and hustle really reminded me of that type mm. of movie and knowing all the changes that's happening over at netflix at the moment it's like i kind of hope there's more of that so like when you say big vanity projects you're talking about big they're trying to break um stop doing big yeah so there's gonna be or well, there's gonna be no more roma there's gonna be no more marriage oh, story so no more like small we're not giving like <laughs> alfonso cure on 120 million dollars to make a black and white film about like autobiography set in the 1960s of Mexico. Like, oh. we're not doing that anymore because that's... We're kind of losing the streaming wars. <laughs> like, yeah. we've been trying so hard to win an Oscar and Apple beat us to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and did Apple... Oscar win... Uh, oh, what did uh, Apple win an Oscar for? Coda. Coda's an oh, Apple film. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that... I mean, that's the other bummer. Like, Coda... We've already forgotten that Coda won Best Picture. <laughs> which is, like, the biggest, like... Yeah... Ugh, I knew that would happen. Like, <laughs> it's just a forgettable fucking movie. Yeah. It's like not even on that same level of like, you know, I mean, because Coda, it's it's a good film. Yeah. But like, you know, something like Green Book or Crash makes you just be like, ugh, I'm angry that this one. Yeah. Whereas Coda, you're just like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. It's kind of like The Artist. You remember that movie? Yeah. <laughs> the black, like like the, the silent it. movie? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. I like how you said you like Coda because I like Coda too, mm. but do I think think it deserved what it got yeah it got like three oscars no yeah yeah Yeah, totally um but whatever but yeah it's so going back to hustle it's i think i I spoke about it briefly last episode as well because i watched it it's just nice to see that type of movie being made again and kind Mm. of i liked seeing adam sandler do i think really enjoyable to watch yeah i think i said to claire it's like it's great when he, he I really enjoy Adam Sandler when he's not has your boy you do. <laughs> okay, I like that in Adam Sandler, but it's like he found his ticket 
And yeah. he just kept doing it. <laughs> he kept punching that ticket. <laughs> he kept yeah. punching yeah. that ticket. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he did a really good job in the very beginning. And yeah. that's all he did for the rest of his life. But yeah. now, not there's been moments of genius from him. And I think... Oh, um, yeah. I wouldn't call this a moment of genius hustle, but it's no. enjoyable, and it, and he's not annoying in it. No, it's it's <laughs> it's by no means because I would, I would people are saying it's a comedy drama. It's a more a drama. Yeah, yeah. There's but definitely a couple of, a couple of laughs, but I wouldn't call it a comedy. Yeah, and it, it's by no means his best dramatic performance. No, but it's also but by it's no trying. means his worst dramatic performance. <laughs> <laughs> Spanglish, this is not. <laughs> like, what the fuck is Spanglish? You've never seen Spanglish? No. <laughs> it is a James L. Brooks movie for like. So from the director of Broadcast News, Terms of Endearment, uh, as good as it gets, it is fucking terrible and really weird. Sounds terrible. It's Just called the title's S- terrible. Banglish. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's good to see him do shit like this again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really enjoyed it. Highly recommend. And the other one I was going to mention was I watched Chippendale. Yep, Rescue <laughs> Rangers. Rescue <laughs> Rangers, I liked it. It was sweet. Yeah, so, and I mean, we should mention as well, like, we've covered. Like pretty much all of Akiva Schaffer's <laughs> like filmography <laughs> over on Patreon, yeah. doing commentaries and things on uh, Hot Rod and Popstar and things. So yeah, it's that's the only reason I watched this movie. If you hadn't told me that that I it was Akiva it. and yeah, yeah, yeah obviously it's Andy. Not Lonely Island though, is it? No, no, because oh, that's a Disney movie. Yeah, <laughs> but there's all three of them pop up in there. If you like me, just being me, like listening, like oh, that's Yorma doing a voice. That's yeah. your like he does yeah. like four or five ancillary, like the announcer at the Comic-Con and stuff like that. Like, yeah. And Akiva did a shitload of voices actually. But, um, yeah. So what you, you enjoyed? I really like the nostalgia mm-hmm. because if you think about it, Chippendale, it is a nostalgia act or, you know, cartoon, yeah. whatever you want to call it. I liked how it was self-aware of itself and it talked about Alvin and the Chipmunks or it talked about other remakey kind of ugly sonic is pretty great ugly sonic, you know <laughs> yeah. so it's it's commenting on that sort of stuff but it's <laughs> there's also just wonderful moments like they go to some street and it's all different <laughs> cartoon characters and they just look up and this dog's in the window hello yeah i don't know there's just like little lonely island little things that just are, weird weirdness like i know it's not lonely island but just like cute things like this... i think that's why we like hot rod so much because if you think about it it's quite a sweet film mm. the characters are oh yeah men children but in a sweet non-aggressive cute way and yes. i think they were perfect for this film no totally and yeah having that like you know it's very much a disney family film but like i said there are those little moments of weird funny in there that yeah. make it really enjoyable yeah, so that yeah and i think it's I like it more because of those guys than the Disney thing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, it's definitely a kid's film still. Oh, yeah, totally. It's playing to the adults, but it's definitely still a kid's film. Yeah, and everyone's been kind of comparing it to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I thought that it entered my mind mm. when I was watching it. I, but I would probably say I think it's closer to. Uh, I, I'm going to say a film not many people have either seen or remember, but <laughs> Looney Tunes Back in Action. Which was uh, stars Brendan Fraser and um, Jenna Elfman from like Dharma and Greg. <laughs> that oh, show. that shit. Yeah, um, and it's one of those like live action interacting with the Looney Tunes. Steve Martin plays the evil villain in it, nice. and it's directed by Joe Dante, who did like Gremlins and things like. Um, but it's it's that similar kind of live action self awareness of like 
Bugs Bunny is playing Bugs Bunny, the star of Bugs Bunny cartoon. Like it's <laughs> yeah, that like stuff. It. Yeah, and See, I'm, it's kind of ringing a bell. Like mm. I'm picturing it in my mind, but I haven't seen it. it it's but... it's really it's I I like that a lot. Actually, it's a kind of forgotten early two thousands. Like, yeah, yeah, I and it kind of guy. killed his and um, Joe Dante's careers. It bombed, but it's really good. I like it, oh. but yeah. No, that's it for me. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm pulling up Letterbox to see what I've what I've been doing lately. I'm kind of on a bit of a tear at the moment. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, you said you're trying to log every film you've ever seen. Oh no! Well, that's just happenstance. Um, now I'm trying to like just anything that I've seen. Like I just kind of that's good. Log is watched. You... Oh. So my all time stats are yeah, getting yeah, up there yeah. on Letterbox. Yeah. But um, for this year, uh, recently. Uh, over the last week since the last recording, um, I watched Hard Eight again just because uh, Philip Baker Hall passed away. Um, that and that movie's great. But I watched Mad God, which is a Phil Tippett stop motion animated film. Uh, the guy he he did like stop motion and animation and special effects works for like RoboCop, Star Wars, Jurassic Park. Like cool. he was a god of special effects, like yeah. practical effects. And he'd been making this film in his home studio for 30 years. Wow. And it is nightmare fuel. And I mean that in the best possible way. It's like this weird assassin guy travels down. It's like Milton, like Paradise Lost, like going through the seven circles of hell and like encountering all these fucked up beings. It's like Sean Tan on a bad mushroom trip. Like if that makes sense. Like it's real frightening stuff, but like gorgeous stop motion animation that he's been working on for like 30 years it's that's out on shutter um it's not ex- it's not an uplifting film to watch <laughs> but it's one where you sit there and be like in awe wow yeah yeah Fuck, 30 years yeah wow. Um, what the longest film that took to make was? Well, I mean, from date of shooting to releasing, like Netflix put out, like speaking to them again, they put out a Lost Orson Welles movie like Ooh. a year or two ago called um, The Other Side, The oh, the Wind at the Edge of the World, something something like that. I've forgotten. I watched it once, but yeah. I'm off that guy since that criteria. <laughs> since <number>. FFA. <laughs> <laughs> mm, the wine. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, we should probably get into this week's episode, yes. so I'll just quickly breeze through. Uh, also watch Spiderhead, um, the new jo- uh, Joseph Kaczynski film based on the George Saunders short story. Um, it's fine. Uh, my recommendation would be don't reread a short story that you love that the film is based off the night before you watch the film, because yeah. I may, yeah. I was just comparing the entire yeah. time instead of just sitting down. It. Yeah, because I'm like, I haven't read this story in a couple of years, so I'm going to sit down and reread it and shouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so that's it's decent enough. And then the other one I would shout out would be um, Cooper Rave's new film, uh, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which is um, up on Apple now. And yeah. that I um, I watched his first film, Shithouse, um, <laughs> last year. <laughs> Um, last year. renamed, has Yeah, it? I think it's called The Freshman or something now. Boo! Yeah, but shithouse. Um, <laughs> watched that at MIFF last, the film festival last year, and it's like, oh, this was a really solid new voice, and the mm. fact that he's the writer, director, producer, star of his films, it's like, it's, and he's like fucking 27 or something, and he's just like, god damn, you're talented. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think I texted to- our friend Toby while watching, just being like, this movie is just charming. Just charming. <laughs> so. I like 
charming. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Mm. But uh, speaking of charming, I guess that's <laughs> maybe not the word to use uh, to describe this week's episode. <laughs> but we'll use it anyway. We'll use it anyway. I mean, lack of charm could yeah. be Jeff's MO in this one. But we watched Jean-Pierre Melville's 1967 classic... I'm, I'm laying it out there. <laughs> uh, Le Samurai. In a career-defining performance, Alain Delon plays a contract killer with samurai instincts, a razor-sharp razor cocktail of 1940s American gangster cinema and 1960s French pop culture with a liberal dose of Japanese lone warrior mythology. Maverick director Jean-Pierre Melville's masterpiece, Le Samurai, defines cool. What a Ooh. fucking awesome synopsis. <laughs> That's like the best synopsis ever. Yeah, I I adore this film. Mm, um, this is one you had on DVD. Yes, I was saying to you when we were watching it, I think this is maybe within the first 10 Criterions I ever bought. Yeah. Yeah. So. Which is interesting because I have two. Yeah. <laughs> this is within your t- first 10. Yes, yes. Well, God, I've got like 400 or something now, so yes. But um, yeah, so I, I had seen this a couple of times. I think the first time I watched it was probably, I think, first year film school when we were at um, JMC together. Like that in like 2005 and since then I've watched the DVD a couple of times I saw it at I want to say Acme here the Australian Centre of Moving Image here in Melbourne uh, a couple of years ago they did a screening and I went and saw it on the big screen and yeah after seeing it at home a few times yeah, yeah. nice you are a fan then. yeah so this is probably I think maybe the fourth or fifth time I've watched it yeah over like you know say a what's that, like 17-year yeah. period or whatever, so... And did you buy it before seeing it? Uh, yeah, it was a blind buy. Blind buy, Because yeah. it wasn't available on DVD. At that time, it wasn't available on DVD here in Australia, so I just bought the Criterion Edition because I'm like, I want to fucking watch it. I've heard a lot about this movie. It looked... That synopsis is rad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to see this movie. So I just, without having seen it, I bought the Criterion Edition and, yeah... Well, that's a very different experience to me because I came in pretty cold mm. watching it. The only thing I knew was the title and the first thing I said to you was, is it French or Japanese? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the two dots above the eye. <laughs> yes. Um, so were you, were you expecting something kind of more samurai-esque then? Yeah, and I think, um, to be honest, after only just watching I think I'm still digesting the story a little bit and mm-hmm. what actually happened or what went down. Mm. Um, but... You mentioned to me, I, I think I made a comment while we were watching, um, he doesn't show any emotion, um, he doesn't talk a lot. Yeah. And you said that's his almost samurai persona that he has. Yeah, because the film opens with that quote from um, the Bushido, the Book of the Samurai, sort yeah. of, and that kind of sets the stage for this guy is, and like you get little glimpses of it, like the police say it at one point, like he's a lone wolf. Like, which I, you know, I, I actually think the Lone Wolf and Cub stuff was later, but like the books had existed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like these little peppering in of like to define his kind of lack of character, mm. I guess, is yeah. by putting on this sheen of he's like a samurai, this cold, calculated killer. Yeah. Yeah. Who kind of lives by a code, I guess. Yes. Which- yeah. Interestingly enough, isn't explained clearly, no. but maybe more visually or, 
Yeah. Yeah. Which I think on first watch, I'm still sort of wrapping my head around. Yeah, and I'm I'm guessing as well that this is your first Jean-Pierre Melville film. I'm going to say so too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the only other one we've done for the podcast is uh, Le Social Rouge, which also stars Alain Delon, and that's a heist movie, and it's fucking awesome. Like, um, but we haven't done that. No, yet. no. This was uh, this was with Tom. Um, yeah, it, it's his. He he only directed I think about four, 13, 14 films, um, a lot of kind of lower budget ones in like the thirties and forties and stuff. But then the stuff he did in the uh, mid to late sixties is like it, it's him defining kind of a new style of cinema that you end up seeing. Like, it looks and feels like a modern film a lot of the time. Like, the camera is not stopping moving. Like, there were scenes that I was pointing out, like, when it's, you know, they're doing the lineup and stuff in the police station. The camera is, like, floating over all the chairs of people. It's like, this looks like a shot out of, like, Close Encounters or something that Spielberg does. That thing of, like, the camera's impossibly floating over areas and... All the tracking shots down hallways, it feels like a Scorsese movie Mm. and, yeah... Could they have taken influence, maybe? 100%. Yeah. <laughs> as well as, like, some others, like, Coen Brothers. Yeah, get a real Coeny Brothers kind of vibe a little bit. I always love when we go back and we watch these older films and then you tell me that they're, yeah, that this film has influence, like, directors that I'm maybe more familiar, yeah. familiar with. And then you just, yeah, you always have a bit more of appreciation watching it. Mm. Well, I've got, like, a, I've got an actual bit of a list of some of you if you want to hear that now mm-hmm. so like i mean not listed specifically um but it, i mean it's hard not to see the the scorsese in this film like you know just like his apartment and like all those it just make it gives me a taxi driver feel yeah like, yeah totally you know the, especially when he's fixing his wound and we're kind of isolated watching him through the window in the apartment it's yeah. you know all this visual language in there just amazing and yeah. like the the placements of the camera like when he's on the walkway in the chase at the end like the angle it's on just really makes me think Scorsese for some reason mm. um but yeah, some direct uh, kind of influences is uh, Walter Hill's 1978 film The Driver with Ryan uh, O'Neill and Bruce Dern, which is a great fucking movie. Um, it's basically almost a flat out, li- like a lot of elements where you've got like the woman that he's in a relationship, like, you know, the reluctant female witness. And then instead of a assassin, he's a getaway driver. So... Um, the yes, uh, John Woo's 1989 film *The Killer*, starring Chow Yun Fat, um, was heavily influenced by this, uh, down to the uh, fact that uh, <laughs> John Woo has actually written an essay that's in the Criterion edition. Oh wow! So the director of *Broken Arrow* and *Face Off*. <laughs> Um, talks about this Uh, Jim Jarmusch pretty much almost did a weird kind a super homage to this in Ghost Dog Wave the Samurai have you ever seen that one with Forrest Whitaker music by the RZA it's great Um, where Forrest Whitaker plays an assassin who flat out like the movie has him reading verses from the Bushido and stuff and it yeah the movie's called The Way of the Samurai and yeah he, he it's kind of taking that idea of an assassin kind of living his life, like, you know, that, whereas in this film, uh, Jeff Costello kind of is like a Western facsimile for a samurai, whereas Ghost Dog, it's like, no, he is actively living the life of a samurai. Yeah, Yeah, in, like, modern-day New York. Like, it's great. It's weird, like, at no point, unless I'm wrong, 
do we see him acknowledge or do anything to indicate that he is a samurai? It's no. Just his, yeah, his way. Yeah. His presence is yeah. And that's the thing. It's it's sort of even based off the source novel that the film is based off of. It's there's no real explicit acknowledgement of that, other yeah. than the chat, the reading of from the Bushido at the beginning, that 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 text on the screen. And it's not like he's reading the book. No, it's just it's visual for us, but not, yeah, it, it's not in the scene for him. It's in that way of like because there's so little for you to latch onto the character. We're gonna by calling the film the Samurai. It that gives you almost the backstory that you need, or like, yeah. or the frame of reference to like understand yeah. who this guy is, where he's coming from, and what type of character he is. I guess. And you brought up a very good point. We haven't really got into the story, but we know that this guy has killed someone. We've actively watched mm. him set up everything um, yet, and he he gives us very little of his character to hang on to, to latch on to, and yet we are so rooting for him mm. <laughs> to get away with it. And it's yeah. interesting like how how we've been not manipulated, but like, yeah, the, the filmmaker has uh, got us to feel that. Considering it, there's not much to latch on to. No, it, it it's totally because I think it's because of that lack of any kind of narrative propulsiveness of through character. It's just it's purely visual storytelling and because this dynamic visual storytelling is presenting us this character of jeff costello that's all we know and that's all we care about is jeff costello so that we are invested even though we've seen this man murder somebody we're like come on get off get off we don't want to see you get arrested like i think also the um superintendent being such a dick helps along with that as well Well, what i found interesting doing the bit of research for this one was that that actor he is actually a um comedian uh francois perrier he um, he was like a comedic actor and Jean-Pierre Melville was like, I'm going to, ca- I want to cast you against type kind of like doing that almost like stunt casting where it's like, yeah, we're going to get like, Hey, it's like Adam Sandler and hustle. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you're known as a comedian, but we're going to get you to be this straight dramatic kind of Do dickhead. You, yeah. I wonder if it's because we want him to not work as that character. Yeah, or and like us feel not connected to him or something. Or it's almost even like an additional challenge of like I'm taking this lovable comedic actor and making the audience root against him. Yeah. For the sake of rooting for a killer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. super interesting. It is interesting. Um give you uh, there's one more kind of heavily influenced film that I think because I realized like all the ones I reeled off your list like I don't know. <laughs> Um, like a huge one. And the second I say it, you're just going to be like, oh, of course. Uh, Drive. Oh. Ryan. Yeah, Ryan Gosling. Like, Yeah, so that that has been... Uh, yeah, Nicholas Winding Reference said, like, this like this is a huge, like, um, influence. I love Drive. Yeah, even down to the point of, like, you brought up, like, the question of, is this one of the few fewest amount of dialogue spoken by a protagonist? Yeah. And so- Drive's a similar one like that. Yeah. Where he hardly fucking talks in the whole movie. I wonder if it would be easier or harder on an actor, having fewer lines. 
Well, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting. I I don't know, but I just wonder because, and on top of that, he doesn't really have much facial expression. No, well, this so using we'll use those two comparisons of um, Le Samurai and Drive. Like, I think Gosling gets so much across in Drive. Like, Mm. you feel the heartache and the longing Mm. and like the lost love and like. He gets so much across just with sitting there silently and his facial expressions. Uh, whereas Elaine Delon, and I think it's also the the point of the character is like, no, nah, there's just nothing there. Yeah, it's almost close to like you know Anton Chigurh from like No Country for Old Men. Like there is just nothing. nothing there. <laughs> like yeah, he is a stone cold killer. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting because I did find at moments where there were long looks between characters that the Whatever was meant to be conveyed was lost on me. Okay. But that might just be my simpleton brain. But I, especially towards the end, there were long looks between characters and I'm like, what do we think? What what, 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 (laughs) 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 I want a taco. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I think maybe a rewatch for me would solve all that. But yeah. Yeah, Well, it is one where like, because it's a film that relies so heavily on like the visuals to mm. like there like like we keep saying like there is like hardly any dialogue like and it is just visual storytelling to get this all of this across and obviously like as on the first time of digesting you just kind of like you're trying to process all the information yeah. you're getting as opposed to on repeat watches you're like okay I know where this story is going I can absorb it and it makes the absorbing of it way easier but I like when films have that rewatchability or want to rewatch yeah like that's exactly what this feels like if I was in 1967 and I just walked out of this I'd probably be planning my next visit to watch it again to you know connect the dots a bit more yeah yeah um and it's a type of film I wish they kind of would make again now like you know not to say like a silent protagonist but like a sparse film like um a couple of weeks ago i actually read a script um for years the coen brothers were trying to make a film based on a james dickey novel called to the white sea and it got into like early into pre-production and they'd cast brad pitt in the lead and it's a story world war ii story about a fighter uh, bomber in a back of a plane who like gets shot down behind enemy lines in japan and he's just traveling north to like get to the sea to be able to get to you know freedom and that's the movie and it's silent it's like just essentially a guy surviving in the and like brad pitt's and like just no dialogue and it's an amazing script to read and you're like fuck why didn't the coen brothers make this yeah it's interesting for coen brothers Mm. like an interesting choice well which is what makes me think like there's a you know bit of a influence from something like this and because that's the thing like with this film there are certain i was sitting here watching it tonight just being like Certain key scenes, I'm like, this makes me feel like I'm watching certain elements of No Country for Old Men. Like, that kind of very slow... Like, when Josh Brolin, like, goes to the motel and, like, you know, he's, got like, you know, putting the back... It's just yeah. slow, yeah. sparse, like, there's yeah. no dialogue for, like, ten-minute stretches and you're just seeing someone going through the motions of yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, that's probably what I like most about this film was the setup and payoffs. So we begin with um, Jeff, mm. uh, you know, setting up everything. Yeah. So he's got his alibi, he's got his car, he's got his weapon. Um, his his papers, al- yeah, yeah, everything's the first there. first alibi is not enough, so he sets up the second alibi. 
Um, and you don't know what's going on, but you can kind of hint at, oh, the keys, the big chain of keys. Oh, that whole sequence, like, that's the first part, like, him hopping in the car and pulling out the big, like, hilarious, like, <laughs> is he going to Hogwarts? What's he doing? <laughs> um, what, what was your initial thought at that point? Cause yeah, because, okay, so first of all, I'm going to start with the very first shot because it's um, just him in his apartment with his bird smoking a cigarette and it's stagnant, but with things going on, <laughs> yeah. the train going past, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And I, I still haven't seen this film, but you explained <laughs> this film to me and I think I feel like I was there with you. But it just reminded me of 24 Frames. Yeah, by Abbas Kiristami. <laughs> um, I should let you know, it's in Criterion now. So. <laughs> One day I'll have to watch it. Holy shit. If there's ever an episode where we just do a commentary where it's just us sitting there just being like, move, do something. <laughs> oh, the bird's back. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, yeah, so, mm. um, and, uh, I lost my train of thought. Anyway. But so yeah, so it's that stagnant opening and yeah, then... The... I didn't know what was going on, but he's clearly in a decrepit, yucky apartment. And then eventually I thought, okay, he's definitely stolen a car and then the plates get changed. I'm like, oh, he's a car thief and that's what he does. But mm. then it just keeps going and, oh, wait, hang on, what's going on now? Mm. I love that opening. It was so good. Yeah, it was fun because you were just like, okay, car thief? No, um... Con man, uh, like you, you're yeah. kind of running through. Yeah. What What's it gonna be? And yeah. then yeah, just goes in and just shoots a dude. <laughs> and it felt like it was interesting because you felt like, oh, he's all over this. He's done this before. Yeah. He's experienced, but then, then he gets caught, mm. and you can see from there it becomes quite. When it, well, where previously it was quite slow and methodical, it's now quite fast-paced. All the people are looking at him and he can't get out oh, quick enough. so and good. And there was like whip pans as he's like mm. quickly exiting. And that kind of, all of a sudden a film that's been like so still and quiet and methodical is like, yeah, yeah, really, yeah. it's like shit's moving real quick. <laughs> fast-paced editing, all of a sudden whip pans. like. But yet he still remains his Le Samurai yeah. controlled calm self. But the film changes the, yes. the pacing of the film changes, exactly yeah it's really clever um and then i don't know how these police <laughs> have a job but anyway. <laughs> well we know that one of them's uh, moonlights is a comedic actor yeah. so that's his real job yeah. but he rounds up what like 400 suspects yep. of just just you know the people on our radar yeah it's got to be one of them which is so interesting because it's like you'd expect something like that it's like oh god he killed a politician or something like you know we need this shit shut down now like yeah. we need this sorted but it's a seedy it's like a nightclub owner yeah where it's like well that just lays in all these other elements of like oh well uh, is the police corrupt are they like it's like Ooh. all this shit that you d- is never Explain. said in the film but you're like that's what I why mean. do you care so why much ca- that's why i reckon the rewatch because I'll get later into the pianist character, mm. but I, I don't know what happened there. But anyway, um, the, sh- the scenes in the um, police station, I love the revolving doors and the maze of the... Uh, the actual, oh. like, the structure of the building. Yeah. And the um, superintendent's choice to which room to go in. and but, but for me, I was like, okay, this is, like, no witness protection <laughs> Yeah, all. where are the lawyers? <laughs> puts him up on a stage and asks in front of everyone the um witnesses to like name and name the suspect whatever and then later he just grabs uh jeff by the arm and shoves him within a meter of each subject 
I'm like, I would say no. Yeah. I, I'm like, he's like, man, can you just chill the fuck yeah. out of it, please? I'm sh- like, if if he, which he is, a big killer, mm. you just like brought him very close to me. I don't know. Like, no, no, just a couple of like, you know. <laughs> I don't know how they ran things in yeah. 1960s France, but. <laughs> but that's what's kind of cool. Like the film, like you said, about how the characters never kind of shift gears based on like the surround, like especially mm. for like Jeff, you'd be like, fuck, like you know. In most other films, you'd have, like, the methodic, like, he's just stone cold yeah. this whole time. The film, the the pacing of the film, the other characters, or the setting, or that's, the shot choice. That's what Melville's doing to help yeah. kind of propel us and keep us connected, um, in lack of anything there for Jeff. And it's, like you said, like, how the film shifts and moulds. It's this whole sequence at the police station feel, gets the feel of, like, a Cold War thriller almost. Mm. It's all those big blue doors with the big square white handles and glass upon glass upon glass. And the camera, like, making the decision not to shoot it in coverage, but, like, that whole sequence when he's like, okay, you go to this room, you go to that room. It plays out in a single shot where the camera's just panning, following him pacing through all these different rooms in and out of doors, and you're Mm. like... This just feel. This just gives me anxiety. Mm, <laughs> just absolutely. watching this, so. And you're hoping that Jeff doesn't get caught. Yeah. But you're also kind of silently confident he won't. Cause yeah. Of his demeanor, maybe. Because of his fucking samurai. Yeah. <laughs> you're just yeah. like he's. Yeah. Of course he's not going to get caught. Like. No. He's got his alibi. He's got everything set. And then when when it gets to things like the pianist who directly saw him and like it's mm. no it's unequivocally not him you're like all right so are you now and then also like Jane's uh, Mr Weiner like the um <laughs> <laughs> like it's like all these people it's like oh are you all in on it like yeah. is there, like where does this who's in who's not yeah you know we we definitely know these characters are because of the setup earlier mm, yes but. Now I don't know about these other ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I still don't know. <laughs> no, well, that's that's what's kind of great. And then, like, yeah, it obviously goes kind of uh, haywire and weirder as it goes along, I yes. guess. Like, yes. Yeah. So let's go to the penis. So we don't know this at the time, but she's in a relationship with the guy who, the head honcho or whatever you want to call him, that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that orders... The hit mm-hmm. on what's his face? Uh, Marty. Marty, is that right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so she may have been in on it from the beginning then, mm, yeah. and known it was going to happen. Which is why she's also not getting Jeff caught. caught. Like, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Good. I'm yeah. This, <laughs> yeah. I'm literally working this out. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. Um. And he knows, he says, he goes and visits her and he says, you're either in on it or there was another reason, but I can't remember, but she's in on it. Yeah. Well, it, it's either like you're, you have a really bad memory or like, yeah, oh, it's, it's something, it. it's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the exact line, but. Yeah. But then the, the head honcho guy must have ordered a hit on her. Mm. 
and that's it's kind of that idea of like tying up all the like when when he goes back into the bar at the very end and puts on the white gloves at the bar and like freaks out that bartender so well (laughs) (laughs) the look on his face um his white (laughs) pants are no longer white (laughs) um you're just like oh is this the the secondary job they hired him for is it to tie up the loose ends from the first job essentially yeah yeah i guess so i don't know I've, you mentioned his white gloves. I thought the white gloves were classic. I thought they yeah. were wonderful. I thought they were like, like I'm getting into the zone. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm about to kill. They're not like his samurai sword. No. But it's almost his, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's like you look at the Criterion cover, like it's, it's such an iconic outfit. It's, it's one of those, it goes back to that like classic cinema and like classic character and especially with animation, like can you... Is it a easily recognizable, like outfit or ensemble? And it's like if he was in silhouette, you yeah. could instantly know who it is. Like it's so iconic and but so simple. Mm. And the white gloves, like you said, it's just this methodical kind of simple detail. But it also like when they're first applied in that in the bathroom scene, where it's like you think he's washing his hands, but it's like no, no, this was a ruse, and he was putting on the gloves. Yeah. You're just like, oh, this could this movie be any cooler? Yeah. <laughs> It's a very cool film. Isn't yeah, it? it's uh, Tarantino as well. Ha- must fucking adore this movie. <laughs> I got Tarant- especially with the crash zooms. Yeah, uh, that gave me Tarantino vibes. Mm. I've got to say, around this time, the crash zoom was invented, and every film had crash yeah. zoom. Yeah, and, and and Star Wars wipes. <laughs> Meanwhile on Tatooine. Yeah. I'll never see a, a, a wipe fade and not think Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're just like, what's happening with Leia on the Millennium Falcon? What's, if, are they still on the asteroid? Even though this is like 20 years earlier. 10? 10? 77 to 67. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't calculate yet. Um, but yeah, when you said that silhouette thing, I could almost imagine like a, a fan art like cover of this, and it's mm. him in black, black, like a black silhouette, but his gloves are white. Oh, that that's cool. You'd know it was him then. Well, I noticed that like on the actual disc, it's him. Bird. It's the bird, but then it's also him in silhouette there. Oh. Yeah. But I think the bird. Did he recognize the bird's different behaviors, and that's what indicated him? That's what gave him the indication that shit had happened? I don't know. Because he, it's, he's always looking, but he's never telling. He looked at the bird, and then that gave him the idea to search his apartment and find the little radio yeah. that the police had put in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then another time he looked at the bird, and that gave him the inkling that maybe someone, someone was in, t- in his apartment. It's the thing of, like, I guess it's the bird is kind of distressed to some degree. Yeah. Because the, the, both of those times when he looks down, there's, like, excess feathers yes. kind of around. So, uh, yeah, whether or not that's... I the bird is anything like samurai. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm reaching. I don't know. But... You've been watching too much Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Birds can be ninjas too. <laughs> <laughs> I would say there's a lot of samurai uh, probably qualities that I haven't picked up on as well, apart yeah. from just his character. That That's that's all, like, again, I've never read Bushido or anything like that. I don't know, and I'm not that Mine's well versed. from video games and films. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> you know, let's be honest, when I think samurai, the image in my head is Toshiro Mufuni. <laughs> like, you know, being like, <laughs> which is like not your typical samurai, yeah. I guess. Um, it's, it is the stoicness, I think. And like the, the cold, calm calculating, that's immediately what I connect 
the dots too, and that's 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 my yeah. Honor. Mm. Well, like, that's the thing. You expect at some point to him to have, like, there'd be more stuff about, like, he lives by a code or something. Yeah, but it's not. There's a one point where the guy has broken into his, into his apartment and is, like, holding me at gunpoint. And he's like, well, do you, like, answer me. He's just like, I, it's a rule of mine never to, like, speak to the, a man holding yeah. a gun at me. And you're just like, oh, that's, A, that's a cool line. But it's also like, oh, there we go. There's, like, a... a- bit of your code yeah yeah it's i have to ask the question so uh spoiler alert (laughs) jeff dies at the end wait what (laughs) that guy was left in his apartment tied up did they get him out (laughs) i'm sure they did i'm sure they did he's still there now well i mean well that's the interesting thing whether or not it's the cops that go back because he's a mob guy (laughs) like he's not a Yeah. yeah so and and how did the cops know he was there and is that an indication that they're corrupt i think it was um possibly through it's through the pianist like she's kind of gone to them i i i assume yeah yeah and that's why it's the kind of setup and it is like she knows she's gonna get bumped off and so they're there Ah. as protection and things but then it's you know the reveal that jeff had a didn't load the gun he was kind of like again that honor thing what was his end game he knew it was Dead. He he was either dead or going to prison, no matter what. Like so, he's like, I'll just go out. Yeah, but again, like we have no dialogue to explain this to no. us. <laughs> it's just all through visual, all. visual nuance. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that's it from me. Yeah. Do you have anything else that you wanted to mention? Well, I mean, that's like, it's hard to not just sit there and just be like, I love this sequence. I love that yeah. sequence. Like. Um, the whole sequence on the bridge is fucking awesome. Where like it's he's walking and it comes all the way up into like that front on like he's staring directly into the camera. When like the guy shoots him, they have that scuffle, and then when it's all of a sudden he's like the insane close up static shots, yeah. and then when the violence happens, it's like a weird rushing dolly shot like coming past as an opposite br- on the opposite side of the bridge. Like that's amazing cool. kinetic camera work for this time. Choice. To do it that way. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I mean. Like, it's, a, and it's all, it's like that representation of, because they're over a train overpass bridge. So it's like, it's passing as if trains apart, like mm. amazing stuff. And then I love the whole, it's like a 10, 15 minute chunk where it's the police are tailing him and he's at the train station. It's yeah. so slow, but I just love it so much. It's just that. There's slow and then there's really fast moments where he leaps off the train. Yeah. And like slowly ratcheting up the tension of it. Like, you know, it's building to something and yeah, just amazing sequences all throughout. I would say that post that chase or tailing sequence, and you're right, those police are terrible at tailing. They're terrible at their jobs. Um, We first see um, Jeff in the second take uh, car that he steals and he has sort of lost his composure there. Mm, yeah, he, he, he's kind of just like, all right, well, that's the point where I figure he's, he knows his fate. Mm. Like, you know, he thought he got away with this from the police, but it's like, no, you, and that's what all the other people are telling him. It's like, no, you didn't. Yeah. Like, they've got you, like, they're going to get you on this. Um, yeah, so it's, that's, I think it's, at that to me, at that moment is when he's, like, resigned to his fate. Right, yeah. Interesting. Mm. We haven't talked about the music. Oh, yeah, the Moogie synth stuff, yeah. Early synth, cool shit. Love it. It's so great, yeah. Yeah. Just such an iconic little theme that will, like, yeah, if you hear it again, it will be stuck in your head for a week. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Yeah, just just a fucking stone cold classic. This one, I I adore this film, and it's you know for all the reasons that everyone loves it. Um, I've got some actually uh, interesting critic reception if you want to hear. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the film has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Empire Magazine voted it the 39, uh, number 39 on uh, 100 Best Films of World Cinema. This was uh, about 12 years ago, though. Um, uh, Vincent Canby um, said that the film was immaculate. Uh, and Roger Ebert, this is his review, uh, he gave it four out of four. It's on, it's on his great films list. Yeah, Roger Ebert only go, goes out of four. Well, zero to four. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and it's also on his uh, great movies list. Uh, like a painter or a musician, a filmmaker can suggest complete mastery with just a few strokes. Jean-Pierre Melville involves us in the spell of Le Samurai before a word is spoken. He does it with light, a cold light, like dawn on an ugly day, and color, grays and blues, an action that speaks in place of words. Mm, well said, Roger. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really talk about the location of being in Paris. Yeah. It's very uh, bleak, cold, gritty. Yeah, you brought up while we were watching it, like this does not paint a pretty picture for Paris. No. Yeah. But it, it doesn't need, it wouldn't work if it did. It's, it suits the tone. Yeah. It's like we, there's like only one scene where there's grass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's when he's pulling like in the car into the garage like to get the license plates and stuff. I couldn't help but think in my head like... All these people living this way, I'm like, oh, I would just not like to live there. No, I know. Yeah, it's... <laughs> what's what's the appeal? <laughs> it's just so... It's like, yeah, just very built up in it. Like, I like my suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> I like going for walks and grass and <laughs> things yep. like that. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. But um, I guess any final thoughts on this one? Or do you want to hear some trivia first? Some trivia. All righty. Uh, so Jean-Pierre Melville, uh, when Jean-Pierre Melville brought a copy of the script to Elaine Delon, Delon asked him what the title was. And when he told him the title was Le Samurai, Delon didn't say anything, but he took Melville into his bedroom where there was only a leather couch and a samurai blade hanging on the wall. <laughs> so the takeaway from that is Elaine Delon fucks. <laughs> like samurais. Yep. I love that. So just the title and he's like, oh, do you know I've got a samurai sword? Come and have a look at it. He's like, check. Yeah, I'm made for... Yeah, it's you picked the right guy. It's in my with just my couch. Yeah. Uh, Melville wrote wrote the role specifically for Elaine Delon as well. It was just like, I this dude. He has such a distinct look. Yeah. Like the the eyes are... There's something weird about... They're so piercing. Yeah. Like... He's, you say, what did you call him? A dreamboat? Oh, he's a, he's a sploosh. He's, he definitely... I yeah. think one of the first things I said, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're just like, who's this? Because you were saying, like, <laughs> most of the French films that we watch, it, you, they're very <laughs> G- Gerard Depardieu-y. <laughs> <laughs> Where's this guy? It, it's, all right. it's all right. He's pretty good. Uh, Jean-Pierre Melville was worried that uh, he was going to get the shot where Jeff drives in the stolen car uh, right into the scrap garage, uh, like he, because it's such a tight, weird, awkward turn. Without missing a beat, Elaine Delon drove the car down a narrow alleyway and into the garage in one shot. Nice. <laughs> Just nailed it. Imagine he had to do one of those, like, you know. Yeah, just like, oh, like an 18 point, like yeah. fucking Austin the Powers. Austin Powers, I shit, I fucked it. Hang on. <laughs> um, 
yeah, again, like this goes on to say, like, this is one of the most influential films in history. Scorsese, Tarantino, Coppola, Jarmusch, Wu, uh, Johnny Toe, David Fincher, Bernardo Bertolucci, um, Takeshi Kitano, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, Luke Besson, Coen Brothers. They've all said that this film is an inspiration for them. Um, oh, yeah, I pointed out when we were watching the film, the first line of dialogue is spoken at exactly the 10 minute mark, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. Uh, it's also, in addition to being on um, Roger Ebert's great movies list, it's also on the 1001 movies you must see before you die. And that's about it. I love when I hear things like that because I'm like, yes, tick. Oh, it's also uh, in apparently in the top 250 narrative feature films on Letterboxd. Ooh. There you go. So, yeah, I like that Letterboxd now has a top 250 as well. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, it is on there as well. So there we go. Um, oh, actually, no, there's one more. Uh, there was an alternate ending for the film. Uh, that uh, when uh, Jeff was shot, um, there was a close-up of him and he had a picture-perfect grin on his face. Um, Melville discovered that Elaine Delon had already done another film uh, where he died with a smile on his face and was like, fuck that, fuck. And then, like, reshot it to not be the same oh, as that no. other film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. But uh, that is it for trivia. More important thing now is, do we want to hear what someone else thinks this film's about? All right, Claire, what time is it? Um, it's time for... Oh, sorry, I was looking for the actual <laughs> oh, time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, what time... Um... It's time for Claire's... What's that movie about? Woo! Thank you. You needed to give it context. <laughs> I know. Not just what time is it. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. I didn't prompt you correctly. Dinner time? All right. So your film this episode is from 1967. Okay. It is a French film okay. called Le Samurai. Ooh. And I am holding up the cover for you. Okay. What's this film about? All right. It's set in... I always go with Paris because France, but I'm going with Paris again. It's set in Paris in the modern day and there's a gangster and his plans get corrupted by a samurai that has time travelled from the past. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So, like, all of the, like, stuff that he was planning to do, he was going to, you know, fight rival gangs and stuff, all of a sudden there's this, like, samurai in the way and, like, just causing real upheaval in his life. A samurai always gets in the way of good business? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you can't be, like you know, laundering money through baguette shops. He has to, (laughs) (laughs) he has to um, instead find a way to get this samurai back to the past so that he can get on with his own business. Quick question. How does the samurai get to present day from the past? Um, Temporal wormhole. That makes sense. That checks out. Yeah. How did they get back? Well, they have to cause... No, that's that's Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a lightning strike yeah. and 88 miles an hour? Yeah. And they're um, in a DeLorean. How do they get back? Um, 
they have to reopen the wormhole through a series of events that I don't know because I didn't watch this movie. So by the end, uh, does the gangster and the samurai kind of work together to get him back? Is that what it's kind of sounding like? Yes, they do, but... An unlikely bond is formed? Un- unlikely, but, but but at the same time, he really just wants rid of him because he's yeah. always just getting his knives out when he shouldn't. Yeah. Swords, that's it, not knives. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I will say that is a wholly original and unique plot idea that is it's absolutely nothing to do with the of a lot of different time travel movies. It's kind of closer to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 than it is Le Samurai by Jean-Pierre Melville. Oh. Well, I had a go. Exactly. Good good try. Is this guy not a gangster? Is that uh, where I got, I will, got it wrong? I will read you the synopsis. In a career-defining performance, Elaine Delon plays a contract killer oh. with a, with samurai instincts. Mm-hmm. A razor-sharp cocktail of 1940s American gangster cinema and 1960s French pop culture with a liberal dose of Japanese lone warrior mythology, a maverick, uh, maverick director Jean-Pierre Melville's masterpiece, Le Samurai, defines cool. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. Well, that sounds cool, but I think that my version would be acceptable as well. Yeah, I mean, your version had time travel. Fish that's out super of water. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's that's what Claire thought. We haven't we haven't recorded it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was fun. Mm-hmm. Tagline? Um, Le Samurai, if looks could kill. Oh, that's a fucking good one, dude. <laughs> I like it. Uh, mine was Le Samurai. A gun is only as deadly as the man holding it. Ooh, I like that too. Mmm. Uh, let's quickly talk about the Criterion edition. Uh, it's still in print from Criterion as a one-disc DVD and a one-disc Blu-ray. It's also on the Criterion channel. Uh, it comes with a new video interview with Rue uh, Nogira, author of Melville on Melville, and Jeanette of... Oh, God damn it. <laughs> you normally say good at this, Vin- Vincendo? Uh, author of Jean-Pierre Melville, An American in Paris. Archival interviews with Melville, actors Elaine Delon, Francois Perrier, Nat- Nathalie Delon, and Kathy Rogier. Uh, theatrical trailer, as well as usual booklet and essays, which includes an essay by John Wu. Uh, it's a nice little edition. Nice one. Yeah. But uh, final thoughts on the film. Did you did you like it? I did like it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. This is one I, I yeah wanted to get you back for, because I, I thought you would dig it. And, yeah. Yeah, you didn't have to... You missed out on, like, rape and ball sacks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a shame. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh, speaking of which, like, uh, on the note of um, uh, taglines, we got some really good ones from listeners, actually, on our Bordeaux Save From, uh, Save From Drowning, actually, uh, over on the Patreon. I'll just quickly read uh, the, <laughs> those. Um... Uh, we got uh, wasted effort could have saved us all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this one I quite like. Common man gets messy and a little rapey with the bourgeois. A laugh riot for the whole family. <laughs> Bravo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so those were from last episode. But yeah, um, speaking of future episodes, uh, our next film is uh, Naked. <laughs> <laughs> Not, not the naked gun? We're, we're going to watch Naked. <laughs> Mike Lee's film Naked with the amazing performance by David Thewlis. Khan uh, Award winning performance. Cool. Yeah. Uh, one that I... You have on DVD. That's a Blu-ray, yeah. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, I I guarantee... I reckon Josh would have seen this one. 
Or at least he'd definitely know about it, I reckon. Yeah. That guy. Yes, David Thewlis. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. So this is like his defining performance, this. So, I'm again, intrigued to see what you're going to think about this one. But otherwise, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, as per usual, uh, shameless plug for the Patreon. Um, our Titanic commentary is out at the moment. <laughs> and I think we're getting ready to record our mummy commentary. Yeah. Speaking of Brendan Fraser earlier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, lots of fun stuff. Like I keep saying, like good discussion, great fun things happening over on those message boards and things and that additional content that we're putting out over there. So uh, any support you could give to the show is greatly appreciated. Uh, all the usual links are in the episode description as well as our letterboxed and Twitter and all that, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but yeah, Lee, lovely to have you back on mic. Good to be back. Yeah, and uh, we'll be back in a fortnight's time with Mike Lee's Naked. Uh, But for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. We'll see you next time. Mm